Cruz is an otherworldly being, or he is akin to an otherworldly being, according to ESPN's Kylie McDaniel, who then proceeds to rate him the number 13 prospect in all of baseball. Hmm. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. Far be it for me to criticize the work that McDaniel of ESPN does in his annual prospect rankings. I I can't even wrap my head around the amount of time, the amount of detail that has to go into something like that. I did the Pirates' own top 30 prospects for Baseball America a few years back. I mean, it was a crusher. I don't know where people find the time to do something like this. That said, his review of Cruz was so glowing and so hilariously, I mean this in a, in a good way, it was legitimately funny, over the top, that he even joked about the Cruz component of his rankings in his tweet to promote the article. Cruz was the one guy he mentioned because he glowed the way he did. He listed Cruz as having an 80 grade on the 20 to 80 scouting scale for both his arm and for his power. This is not something that people in his line of work, let alone professional scouts, are comfortable doing. In fact, they really kind of cringe at it because these are grades, particularly when it relates to the hitting tool, since hitting is so unpredictable, that can come back to bite them. Someone can wag a finger at them even years later and say, really, aren't you the one who had an 80 on fill-in-the-blank? John Van Ben Scoten or Chad Hermanson or J.J. Davis or whoever, aren't you that guy? So you really, 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 really don't put those out very often. It's a lot easier, in contrast, to give the 80 for the arm. Arm's right in front of you. It's not going to fool you. And arms don't go into slumps. If you throw hard, you're going to throw hard. But then McDaniel goes on to point out that when the Pirates called up Cruz, for the final weekend of the 2021 season, that in his first game, he hit a ball, a line drive, 118.5 miles per hour. It was the second hardest hit ball by a lefty in the majors all season long. The only one harder came off the bat of Shohei Otani, who also is otherworldly. Oh, and by the way, this was also noted by McDaniel in the Second game of Cruz's career at PNC Park, he homered 408 feet, no less. This is a player who in so many ways, not least of which is his six foot seven inch height, floors people. He floors baseball lifers and they don't know what to do with him because of that. And as a result, they hedge. They hedge. If you're singing 
from the mountaintops about a prospect in this tone and saying that he can hit monster home runs off one knee, which, by the way, he's been known to do, and that he's got the kind of power that looks like it could easily translate into 40 bombs a year in the bigs, then why back off like that? Then why back off and leave him at 13? I'll tell you why, and I'll do that in the context of a pattern that I've sensed around Cruz for quite a while now. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. O'Neill Cruz doesn't make sense to us. He's a tall shortstop. He is a living oxymoron within that terminology alone. When you watch him just walking about with his teammates, as I did last spring in Bradenton, it's a striking sight unto itself. He's so much bigger than everyone else. And if I can get a little intangible on you, he's got all that hair that's all braided up up there and his hat barely fits onto his head. He doesn't look like he belongs where he is. And that can be a little unsettling. Now add to that when he takes a glove and goes out to short and they're hitting grounders to him and you're wondering, how's he going to get down there? But he does. He does. He gets under the baseball. He gets his glove down where it needs to be, sets himself and uses that rocket arm. Makes it look a little easy, actually. We don't know what to do with that. When he's at the plate, he's obviously going to have a massive strike zone. And you would think he'd have kind of a tough time with that since pitch recognition is the one and only minus, really, that McDaniel and others will assign to Cruz. But then you see him getting down on the one knee and just reaching out and poking. I'm talking poking casual contact with the ball. And the thing just explodes. We don't know what to do with that. We haven't seen it before. I can imagine that this is a lot of what it was like to be around a young Tin Lincecum in San Francisco, and in the San Francisco system, really, before he came up. Because all of the warnings, for those of you who follow this stuff closely, was he's just got this devastatingly dangerous wind-up, and not in a good way. His health wasn't going to be able to hold up. Frail, skinny dude was never going to get you good innings in the majors, all that stuff. He, he flew in the face of everything, and people were terrified to forecast Anything about him. I remember Keith Law uh, of ESPN saying at the time that you want nothing more than for Timmy to succeed. He'd be a tremendous story, but dot, dot, dot. That was the general sentiment. Didn't know what to make of him. He was the otherworldly being. I'd just like to see, I guess, at some point, 
someone out of these scouting services or the scouts themselves just step up and say, listen, this guy's got a bigger ceiling than anyone else who's stepping into the majors this year. He's got a bigger ceiling than anyone else. It's okay to judge prospects by ceiling. It doesn't just have to be about what they might do in terms of consistency or the safe outlook. That's how you end up trading Garrett Cole for Colin Moran. You're getting safe, guys. You're thinking safe. This this kid, there's nothing safe about it, and that's a good thing. When we come back to more questions. Welcome back. Time for J1Q. Come from John Smith, who asks, one of the common gripes I hear is that it takes forever for a baseball prospect to reach the show. Can this be trimmed in any way? What does each level of the minors do that can be done at some combined level to shorten a prospect's time in the minors? Well, John, the first thing the owners would like to do about that is to continue to cut levels and cut players. They've already cut a couple of levels, of course down in various versions of A ball. I happen to believe that low A will be the next to go. It won't be immediate. They don't want to keep getting bad publicity and having people question their status as being exempt from antitrust legislation. And in addition, in the past week, it became known that in the most recent proposal from the owners to the players, the owners suggested Cutting down what are called reserve lists from the minors, the number of players that you protect and pay in the system that go way beyond your 40-man roster, from what's now commonly 180 down to 150, and of course you'd know where that would be going. My answer to this, and if I sound like I'm hesitating in giving it to you because it's not very popular, is I don't understand all the levels either. And take that from someone who has spent the better part of a lifetime covering baseball and talking to baseball people. I understand why they have had them, because it's always been that way. That's almost always the reason for anything when you ask for an explanation related to baseball. But I don't know that that's a good enough answer. You couldn't convince me in any way that baseball couldn't get by with just three minor league affiliates and then a rookie camp of some kind, a rookie level in which really young players would compete in, say, Gulf Coast League ball in Florida, or if they're from Latin America, in the Dominican Leagues. From there, they graduate to A-ball, A-ball to double-A, double-A to triple-A, and on into Pittsburgh. Now, that might be, John, a separate discussion from what you're asking, though. I'm talking about the number of levels. You're talking about the speed with which they get to the majors, and you're connecting them. I'm not necessarily doing that. I don't think it's the number of levels that slow a player down. If there's a fast-track athlete 
if there's someone who is, let's say Henry Davis, number one overall pick in the country, and the Pirates' number two prospect, including on this Kylie McDaniel list yesterday, he's going to have a different roadmap. He just does. He He's going to go from, he already started out right off the bat in high A. I wouldn't be surprised to see him start out this season in Altoona, depending on um, how the depth charts play out and everything else, although he'd be the priority on those depth charts. And then from there, it just doesn't take you very long. He's got to improve his defense and other stuff. And without getting into a dialogue on Davis, he's going to be the exception. But the number of levels won't be what holds him back. It's the number of things that are on baseball development people's checklists that does that. Can a pitcher throw fastballs for strikes consistently? That's a big one right there. Sounds like kind of a no-brainer, right? But what happens sometimes is a prospect can have tremendous, almost unfair at that level, off-speed stuff. And every time they need a big pitch or a big out, they'll just reach back for Uncle Charlie and that poor fool at the plate's going to end up corkscrewing themselves into the ground and everyone says, yay, pitcher. But he didn't make himself better toward reaching the next level. I love to tell the story about how Jamison Tyone was actually forbidden to use his curveball at certain points in the game when he was in the minors because everyone knew he could go 12 to 6 on you and that was the end of that. They wanted to see him get outs with his fastball. That was smart. These are the kind of checklists that you have to pass on your way up and if you don't You're going to end up looking pretty bad in the majors. And by the way, so will the team and the development staff. Baseball is a complicated game with a lot of different layers. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. Let's do another one tomorrow.